0: Love that bumper that we've just seen. I love seeing our neighborhoods that surround us as a church and in our community as we think about this series that we're in, loving where you live, and uh, just it uh, gives us—it's sort of a prayer prompt as you look, as you sort of fly over. It's like these are our people. This is uh, this is our prayer area, and uh, so I hope that I hope that you would do that as we make our way along. Hey, it's good to see you. It's good to welcome you, whatever part of uh, those pictures that you might happen to live in. It's good to have you here at Pathway, whether you are part of our live crowd in person, or maybe you are part of one of our venues still in person, but maybe the Classic, or maybe the Moon Campus, or uh, maybe you're part of our online ministry that's going on today. We're glad that you have tuned in as well. We look forward to what the Lord is going to do in us, and I pray through us as we have opportunity to dig into the topic that we're looking at today, which is very, very important as we think about loving where we live. So in a sports-crazed town like Pittsburgh, it's very important that the teams would have a winning strategy because there's a very high expectation. Unfortunately, not every professional team in Pittsburgh has demonstrated that they have a winning strategy in these days. I mean, I'm not gonna mention which one, but uh, I think that you can probably figure it out if you just stop to think about it for a moment. Now, as we think about a winning strategy, it doesn't just have to do with sports or sports teams. If you actually Google, winning strategy, you'll see that it offers you a winning strategy in a number of areas, things like classroom management or business or sales or slot machines even, and the game rock, paper, scissors. Now, when you think about it, doesn't that just sort of seem like a game of luck? It's like, why would, how could you possibly have a winning strategy with that? But people have studied this and studied behaviors, and so they've come up with a winning strategy when it comes to rock, paper, scissors. And I thought, just as a public service, I'd tell you what it is so that you can amaze and beat all of your friends. It's really pretty simple. They've studied this. And that is that if you're playing a guy, you should start with paper because guys almost always start with rock because it's kind of the manly thing to do. Statistically, men most often start with rock. If you're playing a woman against a woman, you should never start with paper, because most women statistically start with scissors. And then beyond that, you just need to know that if a person throws a winning whatever, rock, paper, scissors, that they're likely to repeat that, because they won. And if they didn't win, that they're likely to change it. That's all you need to know. You can take that and you can apply that with everybody that you play against and you will win most often, most of the time. Unless, of course, that person is listening to this sermon and then you have no advantage over them whatsoever. I also have a winning strategy when it comes to the game risk. And that is, if you value marital harmony, do not play this game with your spouse. Yeah, (laughs) thank you. Yes, I have a story behind that. No, I am not going to tell you the story behind that because that's another secret or another winning strategy for marital harmony is to not tell you the story, all right? So winning strategy, if you haven't figured it all out already, the title of my message for today is just that, a winning strategy, a winning strategy. And the reason is because we're going to be looking at a passage where it talks about strategic moves and how the strategy to win in these realms we're going to be talking about is so central to this passage, and you're going to understand that more and more as we make our way along. But the place you need to turn to follow along is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is something that has been given to us by the Apostle Paul, and we find a lot about a winning strategy here in this passage. Here we find that Paul just gets right to his goals as he's talking about working with the people who he finds there in this ancient city of Corinth and right at the outset in verse 19 he writes this he writes i have made myself a slave to everyone to win to win as many as possible what's his goal it's to win others to jesus christ that's his winning strategy See, that's what we're talking about, his winning strategy in this regard. And he's not going to let us miss it either because five times in these five verses, he comes back to this idea of he is doing this so that he might win these people, so that he might win the lost, and on and on he goes. You'll see that as we make our way along. This passage, though, is very, very important as we continue on in this sermon series that we're in that we've called Love Where You Live love where you live. If we're not going to understand what Paul has to say here, then we're going to miss out on one of the central keys to what it means to love where we live. It is that central. We're kind of doing building blocks. We got started last week. If you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go back and pick that up. Uh, It's on our website. You can listen to it there. This is a building block on top of that. This is another key aspect of what our lives would be if we're going to love where we live. All right? Now, as you think about love where you live, as we pointed out last week, it's not so much about loving the setting that your house is in, but rather loving where you live in the sense of loving the people where your house is and around your house. And again, we need to dig into this and understand this if we're going to really be able to build on what we've already said, and if we're really going to love where we live. This passage is that central. It's that important. It's that key. So, let's go ahead and start into it. There are a few different elements to carry out our winning strategy, as Paul gives it to us. And the first is this, to use your freedom to serve. Use your freedom to serve. Slavery was a real thing in the ancient world. Now, slavery wasn't racially oriented in the same way that it was in the 17th, 18th, 19th centuries In America, that we tend to think about when we hear that word, it wasn't quite the same thing, but it did mean that those slaves had restricted freedoms, that there were things that they just could not do, that they were under the authority of their slave master or of their boss. We all have a desire for autonomy in our lives, and it was restricted for those slaves. That makes sense to us. We understand it. Even though all of us would desire to have our autonomy, that really isn't the way that it always is, which is what makes this passage that we're looking at really very, very interesting in what Paul has to say. He begins in verse 19, right at the very start. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, that's his setup. Now, he lived in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had control at this particular time when he was ministering, and if you were a citizen of Rome, you had all kinds of rights and privileges that other people just did not have. Paul was a Roman citizen, so he had that freedom. He had those privileges. They were all ours, and he, he enjoyed those. In fact, there were multiple times when he relied on those to get him out of scrapes that he was otherwise going to find himself in. And in verse 19 here, he says that he's been enjoying that freedom that a lot of other people did not have afforded to them. He could do things that other people couldn't do. He could go places that other people could not go. He says, though I am free and belong to no one. We celebrate that. We love it when we have that freedom. Unfortunately, not every scenario is one where there is complete freedom. We had the opportunity a couple of weeks ago to go to the Memorial Golf Tournament that was held in Columbus. It's held at a beautiful course. We loved walking the course. We loved seeing some of our favorite golfers and all the rest. But it became pretty apparent pretty quickly that not everybody had the freedom to go all of the same places as other people did. And it also became evident pretty clearly that we were some of the people who didn't have those freedoms to go into those places, like beyond the ropes. Right? There are only a few people who get to go inside the ropes: the the golfers and the caddies, and a few other people who are kind of officials with their group. They get to go inside the ropes, but the rest of us, who actually are the ones who paid the money to be there, that paid the money that eventually the people inside the ropes are going to get. We're the ones who get stuck on the outside. We don't have the privilege of going into those places. Then there are things like those specialty tents. They put up these special tents with seating and all the rest at uh, important places along the course, like, like by the 18th Green, so that people who are worthy to go in those places, like we were not, they could go and they could sit there and they could have people serve them beverages and food and, and all the rest, while the rest of us were stuck outside in the extreme heat, which there was, and the pouring rain, which there was, and the cicada inf- infestation, which there was while we were there we couldn't go inside and enjoy all the privileges of the vip's we didn't have that sort of freedom we would have loved to go if we could have gone but they restricted our access we felt like second class citizens so far so so sort of in a number of ways well that's what makes this passage that we're looking at here and paul's actions in this passage so Amazing, because we all like to celebrate and live out the rights and the privileges that we have wherever we have them. Paul is saying he's willing to do something else altogether differently. Look at verse 19 again. He says, though I'm free, I belong to no one. I've got all the rights of citizenship. I'm a Roman citizen. I can go where I want. Even though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Why? To win. To win. To win as many as possible. Paul's saying he's willing to let go of all of his rights and privileges, all of the freedom that he otherwise would enjoy, and make himself a slave to other people for a purpose and for a cause. That's convicting. That's convicting to me. How often do we use our rights, our privileges, to pursue self-interest instead of the interests of others? How often do we use our rights, our freedom, our privileges to avoid sometimes people and circumstances instead of engaging in those circumstances and with those people. Now, don't get me wrong. There are certainly lots of times and lots of people all over Pathway that I see making all kinds of sacrifices to serve other people, to benefit other people, and that's part of what I love about Pathway. That's part of what I love about you, to be sure. No doubt about that at all. But Paul's standard here is so very high. His example is calling everyone to engage in all of life toward this end of winning as many as possible. And he's willing to do whatever is required in order to get that done. And if we're going to be serious about loving where we live, if you get serious about loving where you live, It's going to require that we learn this, that we would use our freedom to serve, not just for personal benefit, not just for our own glory, not just to build up ourselves, or our own reputation, but rather to use it for the benefit of somebody else. That sounds counterintuitive. That sounds like something that just doesn't happen in our world, and you're right, it doesn't happen in so much of our world, but it's the example that we have a winning strategy. It'll make a difference. Then there's a second key to Paul's winning strategy, and it's what comes if we will be sensitive to culture. Be sensitive to culture. Here's how Paul went about making him a slave to others. He says, that's what I'm going to do, and then he gives us some examples. Here's how I did it, or here's how I live my life in that regard. A number of different facets. Here we go. Verse 20 says, to the Jews, he says, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. Paul was a guy who had come to faith in Christ and he had the courage of his convictions. He was not going to compromise on sound doctrine. He was not going to set aside God's Word. He was not going to water down the Gospel so that people would be more inclined to respond to the Gospel and come and do the things that he wanted them to do. As far as he was able, he lived obediently to God's purposes, according to God's will and according to God's Word. That was his life. But in matters that did not violate God's Word did not violate God's will. He paid attention to the interests of his audience, and he leaned in that direction to live according to their interests, according to their lifestyles. Again, not compromising in any way what God's will or Word would have been to him, but wherever he could consider his audience and and live in such a way that sort of benefited them or or celebrated their culture, their customs. He said, I'm going to do those very things, and he does. And here in verse 20, he says his first audience is the Jews. He knew about Jewish culture. He was a Jew himself. He knew about the things that would be offensive to them if he did it, and he knew about the things that would work to help to gain him a hearing if he did those things. And so he, he doesn't do the things that would set them off, that would cause them to lose a hearing. He does the things that he know would bless them. Now, that's not being double-minded. That's not hypocritical. That's being kind. It's being considerate. It's looking to the other person, being sensitive toward them. He knew that the message of the gospel was going to be offensive enough, and he was not going to sell that short. But why does he have to offend them in other ways when he knows that instead he can do that, which would simply be the friendly thing to do? And so that's what he does. He doesn't come in and he say, well, I've got the freedom to do this, so I'm going to do that, and you're just going to have to suck it up while I experience and enjoy my freedoms. He doesn't say that. I'm going to make myself a slave to you. Why? So that we might have relationship, so that we might be able to go deep, so that we might be able to go to the gospel. That's what he's doing here. He makes himself a slave to the Jews. That's not the only group. he makes himself a slave to he goes on verse 21 and we see a different group here it says to those not having the law the jews had the law they lived by the mosaic law but there were others who didn't live by the mosaic law to those not having the law i became like one not having the law though i am not free from god's law i'm under christ's law so as to win those not having the law Just as Paul considered the culture and the customs of the Jews, those who lived under the Mosaic law, so that he might be able to have friendly relations with them, he also considers those who are not under the law. Those are the Gentiles, considers their customs and their practices so that he might be able to enter in and enjoy fellowship together with them. And that's what he does. Again, it doesn't diminish in any way the truth. He won't allow that to be sacrificed. He says, I'm under Christ's law for heaven's sakes, but he honors his audience wherever he could. You might remember when we were studying in 2 Corinthians not all that long ago that we were talking about these false teachers who'd come on the scene, and we referred to them as the Judaizers, and what their mindset was is they said if somebody is going, if a Gentile is going to find favor with God, they're going to have to go through Jewish culture or Jewish customs to get there. They're going to have to obey the law. They're going to have to obey the dietary restrictions that are placed on the Jews. You have to basically become a Jew in order to find God's favor. Paul comes on the scene, and we saw it throughout all of Second Corinthians, and he says, forget that. No way. He says that's adding something on to a gospel which is only about Jesus plus nothing else. He says there's no problem with me at all joining in and and enjoying my Gentile friends, honoring them and who they are and in their customs, not going so far as to work against conscience, not going so far as to work again or live against God's will or God's word, but where he could defer to them he did so. Why? To win as many as possible. That's what he's doing here. And then as the text goes on, there's another group It says that he's being friendly toward. It comes in verse 22. says, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. Now, there's some debate as to who exactly the weak are, but I think there's probably some sense in which we can have some confidence in that these are people who are pretty much just right on the precipice of coming into relationship with Christ, or ones who are brand new in their faith, who are still weak in their understanding. And Paul says, instead of me just going forward and saying, I, in my maturity, have the freedom to do all of these things, and I know you're not going to understand, but maybe one day if you get to be as mature as I am, you're going to come to understand, but I've got this liberty, and I'm going to live it out. Paul says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to sacrifice my liberties, I'm going to sacrifice the things that I could do, the practices I might be going forward with, because I know that it might cause you to stumble. I know that it might get in the way of you growing in your faith, and for your sake I'm going to sacrifice my freedom, make myself a slave to you, so that you might benefit as a result." Now, in all three of these scenarios, with the Jews and his relationships with the Gentiles and his relationship with the weak, there's basically one unifying principle that underlies all of these things, and this is what it is. It's to consider your audience and defer wherever possible without compromising God's truth. Say it again. Consider your audience and defer wherever possible without compromising God's truth. This is a dynamic principle when it comes to engagement with the gospel or engaging people with the gospel. In fact, this is a dynamic truth when it comes to engaging anybody in human relationship, that we might live this way, to consider your audience and defer wherever possible without compromising God's truth. Truth. You see, we can be very good at considering our own interests, our own ideas, our own preferences, and when we lead with that, we will communicate very strongly that we're interested in ourselves, but not so much that we're interested in that other person. But relationship happens when we demonstrate an interest in the other person, in their ideas, in their preferences, looking to their needs and their benefit. That's when there can be genuine engagement that, in an exchange of ideas and dreams and values. That's where typical strong gospel connection happens and where gospel conversation can really happen is when we get down to that level. That's the realm that you need to learn to get to, that you need to learn to operate in if you are going to love where you live. This goes hand in hand with the challenge that I gave you last week. And I want to remind you of that so you don't forget if you were here or so that you might know in case you weren't here with us last week. The challenge is this, that by the end of this series, which is going to end July 11th, and so you've got a while left, that by then you would step out to foster a significant step of personal connection with another person, with a neighbor, who someone puts God puts on your mind, someone with whom right now you have really nothing more than a superficial relationship or superficial understanding. Maybe you don't even know this person yet, but they'll come on your radar very soon that by then we'll have a significant, take a significant step of personal connection. And by that, what we are talking about, what we mean, is that you'll foster an environment where you spend time with them for at least an hour, at least an hour, so that you have time to get down to some deeper level, to some deeper conversation and move things beyond just that which is superficial. Uh, we talked last week that a perfect environment for that is over a meal, over a barbecue, have them over to your house, or maybe over some moors that you have on the fire pit at home, or whatever other sort of setting that you would want to come up to and foster for your for yourself. Maybe a long walk with them, or whatever that would happen to be. But as you start to go deep with them, lean into their interest, into their family, into their experiences. Talk with them until you find the places of common ground that you have together with them. Now, here's what's going to happen. Inevitably, there are going to be some differences that start to bubble up. You're going to start to recognize those. In fact, it's possible that with this person or these people that you invite over, the family, you might have tremendous differences with them, so much so that otherwise you might never have invited them over. But here's the thing, when those differences start to bubble up, they start to bubble up in the context of a friendly relationship instead of just being something that would force you apart or something that would have been a filter through which you never would have allowed them because you would have come to recognize the difference. And this is the problem that we experience so much between groups and between people who just we cannot learn to get along in these days and in this culture is because we see people basically just through the lens of the differences that we have with them. And because of those differences, we keep them at arm's length and because of we are keeping them at arm's length, there's just this gap between us and them that just continues to, to gather additional acreage. On and on and on and on it goes. But we're working against that. We're trying to set that aside. And what a win it is if you end up having somebody over in your house on your deck who you discover really is very different than you are, who sees the world very differently than you are, than you see it. That's not reason to try to end the conversation as soon as possible. It's reason to go deeper. It's reason to allow that friendship to rise up. Why? Because we're willing to do whatever is necessary. So Paul gives us the model to use your freedom to serve and to be sensitive to culture. Not just culture around us, but the, the sort of mindset of the people that we engage so that we might see things from their perspective, so that we might lean into who they are and really seriously get to know them instead of just wanting them to get to know you. And then there's one more thing here, one more piece that we, we discover is one final priority in this approach, and it is this, to seize every opportunity. Paul's whole life was lived to seize every opportunity, and you can see it here in his summary statement that comes at the end of verse 22. It says, I have become all things. This is Paul. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul is saying, I'll do absolutely anything for the sake of the gospel, short of dismissing truth, short of living in some way that compromises who I am as an obedient person of God. I'll go wherever I need to go. Now, we've talked a lot already about what that looks like, but there are a few more practical steps that we can just throw in here that I think are going to be very helpful just to help us to think practically about what does this look like? What does this require of me? If we're going to seize every opportunity. So, let's take a look at these. First practical step is to listen carefully, to listen carefully. We live in a world today that loves to talk, but isn't very good at listening. We're happy to tell other people what we think, but we're not very good at listening to what they think. I mean, not really. And the result is that we have a world that is characterized by a lot of talking, but very little communication. And because people we don't feel are hearing us, we start to talk more. We start to talk loudly. And as a result of that, today what we have is a lot of shouting going on, but no more communication than there was at the start. Here's the irony of the whole situation and the bottom line as we come to it. It's this, if you want to be heard, start listening. If you want to be heard, start listening. See, when you start listening, you start demonstrating that you care. When you start listening, you start honoring the other person. When you start listening, you start to deny yourself for the benefit of someone else, and that's how the fire is kindled under a relationship, and that's how a person is going to know that you want to know them, which is going to make them want to know you, which is the very thing that is going to ultimately get you heard. If you want to be heard, start listening. You might wonder, Pastor Jeff, why do I have to be the one to start listening? Why shouldn't they be the one who has to start listening? Good question. Answer, because we're willing to be all things to all people, so that by all means we might save some, because we're willing to sacrifice our freedom, our right, our privilege for a higher call, for a higher sake a higher purpose, to win as many as possible. That's why. One step of being all things to all people is to listen carefully. Another is to love considerately. As you listen carefully to others, as you enter their world, as you seek to serve them, inevitably there are going to be some things that come up, like in this in this challenge that I've given you, inevitably there are going to be things that come up that show you a way that you can serve them, a way that you can bless them, a need that you can meet, some circumstance you can jump into, an assistance that you can provide. You're going to see it. You're going to recognize it. And when you do, jump in. When you do, take it as something that the Lord is putting on your heart to go and do. Now, here's the thing that you're going to bump up against. You're going to resist that, and the reason is because it's going to step outside of what the nature of that relationship is. Nobody in the relationship has done that yet, and because of that, it's going to feel awkward. You're going to wonder, "Am am I going too far? Am I really putting myself out there in a way that, you know, is just not right based on the nature of this relationship? You're going to have that thought. My encouragement to you is to set it aside and to jump in anyway. If you want just a superficial relationship to continue the way that it has all the way to this point with that person or that couple or that family, then just keep doing the things that you're doing. But if you want to see it go to a new place, then you're going to have to do new things, and you're going to have to be willing to take that risk. And if somehow it blows up in your face, then it blows up in your face while you were trying to live out the purposes of God. No shame in that whatsoever. So where you see the opportunity, love them. Paul, piggybacking piggybacking on some other places in the law, says this, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love means getting outside of our comfort zone. It means taking steps that are sometimes ones that we wonder where that is gonna go. But because of the depth of our care for the circumstance, for the person, our willingness to step out, we're willing to take that risk. Gonna be all things to all people. You Need to listen carefully, you need to love considerately. Then lastly, we also need to live intentionally live intentionally. Here's the way that Paul wraps up this passage in verse 23. It says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. Paul didn't have any doubts in his mind regarding what his life was about. It was about knowing Jesus and about making Him known. course, that's a call that's on our life too. We've also been invited and called and challenged to live intentionally the same way that Paul is doing right here. The win for us is that Paul's already given us his secret sauce for how to get it done in a way that's going to make a difference, that is going to transform relationships. That is going to see you making inroads in relationships that you've never maybe been able to do before, or maybe you've just never taken the initiative to do before. He says, here's the key. Do these things, and we've been laying out exactly what they look like throughout this message. As we do, what's going to happen is it's going to open up doors that perhaps have been locked tight or that you would think would be locked tight. That neighbor, that one over there, there's not a chance that they would even accept an invitation to come to my deck. You might just be surprised what you discover. When it comes to loving where you live, it cannot be accomplished behind the closed doors of your house unless you've already brought the other person inside. It can't be accomplished apart from us getting outside of ourselves, acknowledging our audience, And being considerate toward their needs, their interests, their values, their dreams, their desires, entering into their world. So our challenge remains the same that we kicked off last week, that we take a significant step of personal connection. And I would love to hear about your experience of spending an hour or more with a neighbor, with someone that you didn't really know before. And I hope you'll take this step because if you will, it's going to transform our communities and our church. I absolutely believe that. But it's going to require all of us taking that step individually in the places that God has put us. And if you do, and when you do, listen carefully, love considerately, and live intentionally. It's a winning strategy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. What, what, I'll do all things for all people so that by all means I might save some. Lord, it, it sounds like a schizophrenic approach, like I'm going to go nuts doing all of those things. But Lord, before we dismiss it, may we try it, may we engage doesn't mean that we cast off all of our scruples, that we cast off all of the things that we believe God is calling us to so that we might just fall into somebody else's pattern and we end up in sin. Lord, that's not at all what this is about. And I just pray that you would help us to recognize that we're not giving up the courage of our convictions. We're simply opening ourselves up to the perspective of someone else, which means we need to put ourselves outside of ourselves which means that we're going to have to be willing to let go of our freedom so that we might serve somebody else. Lord, we don't give up our freedoms very easily. We don't relinquish our rights. We demand our rights, and there's so much demanding of rights that are going on all around us that it's just causing people to get entrenched behind their rights and our world is suffering as a result. And people who would be influenced for the gospel are not being influenced for the gospel as a result. Lord, this starts with us. Change in our world starts with us because change happens in the heart, and you're the one who changes hearts. Lord, I pray that we would love where we live and that we would recognize the importance of Paul's secret sauce and that we'd take it and that we would spread it liberally on to all of our relationships. Lord, this is a big change for some of us. And I pray that you'd give us the courage and the heart and the love that would lead us to do so. Lord, we've got our call. We've got our challenge. I just pray that you would help us to live it out and to fulfill it. For we know it's a winning strategy, and we know that it'll serve your glory and the benefit of those around us. Lord, may that become a driving force in our heart and mind and life. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who are just joining us in this series, last week, Pastor Jeff challenged us to find a way to connect with someone in a meaningful way. It could be a friend, neighbor, co-worker, or anyone else that God has put on your heart. As we consider ways to do this, let's be reminded from this teaching today why we're reaching out. First Corinthians tells us it's for the sake of the gospel that we might share with them in its blessings. And that's what it all comes down to, loving our neighbor and loving God together. Thanks again for being with us today, and we'll see you next week.